Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Get this wrong, and AI could make it easier to build chemical or biological weapons. Terrorist groups could use AI to spread fear and destruction on an even greater scale. Criminals could exploit AI for cyber attacks, disinformation, fraud, or even child sexual abuse. And in the most unlikely but extreme cases, there is even the risk that humanity could lose control of AI completely. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So is it just me, or is Rishi Sunak the only person on the planet who can make an existential threat sound like someone has just announced that they're popping out to buy some milk? In fact... Could artificial intelligence create an artificial British Prime Minister with more charisma than the current one? That wouldn't be that hard, would it? But can AI actually deliver on much at all beyond helping students cheat at their exams? And could the threats be a little less to do with the overthrow of the human race and more to do with the increased use of energy and all that that entails to create information that simply reaffirms current thinking without challenging much at all? That's this week on the Debunking Economics Podcast. So everyone is talking about AI at the moment, of course. Rishi Sunak's new best friend is Elon Musk, who has been over in Britain to talk about the dangers that AI presents. Civilization destruction is how he described it. I thought that's what he was trying to do with X, and seems to be doing fairly well at that, actually. Uh, He said at the summit last week at Bletchley Park, it's not clear to me if we can control such a thing, he said, but I think we can aspire to guide it in a direction that's beneficial to humanity. Uh, That is the uh, long-term worry, of course, the existential threat. But in the short term, what about deep fakes? The ability for videos to be made quickly and easily that are not what they seem. Like Jerry Seinfeld suddenly appearing in Pulp Fiction or Tom Cruise giving cleaning tips on TikTok. I've seen all of these. Or Linda Carter, the original Wonder Woman, substituted into the remake of Wonder Woman from a couple of years ago. All incredibly convincing. So does that mean we can no longer believe what we see? And that's that's just video. Imagine... uh, What can be done with audio? I mean, for all you know, Steve and I might have actually died years ago, but we're still talking. So, Steve, I mean, it seems like AI can do a lot, but but not yet. I mean, maybe this deep fake stuff is just the early days of AI, like, you know, porn dominated the early days of the Internet. (laughs) But we found other and uses. The, for, and the middle and the late days. Yeah, I know, but less of it. <laughs> maybe there's as much now, but proportionally less of it uh, because we found other things to do with our time. And You're other just getting old. Do. So am I, of course. You're maybe that's yeah, it as okay. well. But yeah, I mean, yeah, but yeah. generally it's been. Your eyesight is failing too, I hear. <laughs> it is. I wonder how that happened. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> proportionately less porn, you know, compared to because we found other things to do. So maybe deep fake is like the porn equivalent for AI. It's, you know, it's attracting a lot of attention now. 
But the upside is everything we do with it from this point onwards. And, you know, plenty of upside potential left. Oh, look, I, I think the main danger is, as you say, the, 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 the deep faking side of things, because if you want to, you know, show uh, Palestinians executing babies, just tell that's what you want from AI. I mean, you might get a, a quality control com- a complaint back and it might refuse to do it. That's where they're putting up some ethical limits to what is that was able to be shown. But, you know, there's no no lack of capacity for humans to be given an ethical uh, control and then find ways to talk the way around it, and including telling how an AI to do this with, with you know, yeah. show me a child buried up to their neck in sand. Um, you know, then you might have to do a bit of uh, a bit of editing to make it look like they're being executed as well. But yeah, you won't be able to trust your eyes or your ears anymore unless you're actually standing in the in the place where it's taking place. So in that sense, it may erode the trust that people have in what they see and hear on the internet, and that potentially is no bad thing. But the trouble is, some people will trust what they see, and you will have deep fakes and. Uh, I've I've seen like one of my one of my favorite. But could it destroy my... itself? Could it? Could we actually get to the stage where, you know, in a few years we actually go, ah, you know, the internet. I remember it when you could trust it, but now yeah, there's nothing at all on it. Yeah, but like for example, my my one one deep fake that I know of well is my good friend Yanis Varoufakis uh, made some comment about the uh, European Union, and then was film was shown on on film, and he actually had this shown to him uh, live in a in a, a, a interview where he gave the finger to uh, the EU. I've forgotten. He was actually you know, literally a middle finger up in the middle of a speech. And he said, I did not do that. I did not do that. And then the people who put what actually happened was people were making a, a mockumentary about him. And they had an actor who then is made up to look as much as very close to Giannis. They could then substitute Giannis's actual face over this guy. But the guy's hand is what did the finger up. Um, so you could actually go back and say where that came from. So it ha- isn't that isn't that it's difficult or impossible to make deepfakes right now. It's just that it's more it's more easy. It's harder work to do it. Where with an AI, if you're told, you know, show me giving an AI showing Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, raising his middle finger while giving a talk. So we are going to be at the stage where we can only believe something if we actually see it ourselves. That's yeah, where we're going to get to. Yeah, and that, and that, I mean, the other, I mean, the other possibility is movies, you know, and and I'm I'm sure this is a major reason why Hollywood is interested in the area of AI because all of a sudden you can do without the people who design sets, um, you know, not not necessarily all of a sudden. I imagine there'd be glaring problems if you try to get AI to to assemble an entire, you know, a castle of Aragon or that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, the the potential to create artificial environments which are so realistic that you cannot tell whether they're artificial or real um, that's going to help out the movie industry but it could damage the damage current affairs no end yeah exactly well i mean in the movie space i talked about that linda carter you know the original fairly attractive woman uh, in a youth who played wonder woman substituted in the remake of wonder woman and you really you know so the modern day effects with the original actress and it really is amazing and i've heard that uh, extras, if you go and, uh, you know, act to, uh, act to be an, an extra, and you get a lot around where I am because there's uh, 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 Bourne Woods, a lot of movies are made in Bourne Woods, so lots of extras like kids from the, um, from the local university, which is a creative arts university. Uh, if you go as an extra, they ask to scan your entire body, and the argument they give um, is that, uh, you know, we just in case we need to change a scene or whatever and you're not there and we don't want to have to call you back uh, so they can just substitute you. 
But of course, you're signing your life away as well. So, you know, you'll be an extra in every other movie from now on uh, without getting paid anything for it. So, um, but that's that's where we're going to have. You know, I mean, I've seen some talk about that with actors as well, and uh, that they, uh, if if they they scan, they sign an agreement that each time the image is used, then they have to get paid. And you'd have uh, the only way that that you know becomes desirable for the, the worker end of the scale as opposed to the capitalist end of the scale is if you can actually require those agreements. So if your images are used, mm. you get paid whatever revenue is involved. So look, I want to talk more about the jobs that might disappear because there's loads of them and how um, how we get over that problem is because AI is here to stay, isn't it? There's absolutely no way you can you can stop the, uh, the steamroller from carrying on. But is it um, at the expense of more and more energy and i know you know you love to talk about energy so i thought i'd look at some numbers so according to the international energy agency data centers currently uh data centers and internet transmission not actually people using browsers and using the internet themselves just that you know the, the supply end uh, accounts for about one and a half percent of all the world's energy today now that seems like quite a small percentage so if it's doing good uh, if artificial intelligence is making us work smarter is one and a half percent of total energy use is that a worthwhile use a worthwhile expense do you think the question is of course is it going to stay at one and a half percent well i think one and a half percent is not small i mean uh, I'm, I'm only guessing but that that is probably of the scale of the energy consumption of bitcoin it could potentially be close again i don't know the numbers exactly but it wouldn't be too far from the level of energy consumption of international travel so i won't i won't i won't stand by that particular claim that's totally hypothetical but what you can see is that if 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 data centers are currently using one and a half percent of the energy consumption of the planet then the whole idea of going to a virtual world to reduce our energy consumption isn't all that convincing because you know even though we spend a lot of our time facing computers you're talking about the data centers themselves too not our queries and so on which of queries would add to that as well or double or treble at least that number so the whole idea that you can decouple from energy by going to a virtual world so you go in virtual tourism rather than actual tourism uh, even to make that feasible if you wanted to make it feel like you actually were inside the blue mosque in yeah, Istanbul no, uh, no one's going to as opposed you, to being you go, I mean you, you don't have energy involved in that I mean that, but huge. that is nonsense isn't it you go on holiday for the experience for the real experience meeting real yeah, people if, in yeah, in real fresh but air but I'm talking economists yeah. here but I'm talking economists here, okay? And they fantasize. I mean, I've literally read economic papers. I have one sent to me just recently reminding me about it, where they hypothesized that you could actually get infinite growth with zero zero material inputs. The idea that you 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 have a tapering level of energy going in and an increasing amount of utility coming out, and ultimately get to the stage of zero energy for infinite utility. It's bullock. It's total bollocks. Uh, there, you are still going to need to consume that energy, and if energy consumption is an issue on the on the biosphere, then you can't sidetrack it by saying we're going to go AI and virtual rather than. Uh, but you know, could walk but could AI help? I say absolutely. I mean, you, you can't get that whole info. And this gets back to what we were talking about last week with with techno optimism, where the conclusion was. Well, you know, there's, there's there's an energy constraint on all of this. But uh, looking at some figures from the International Energy Agency, energy supply by GDP has been falling steadily since 1990. So it was 10 gigajoules per thousand US dollars at 2015 prices in 1990. Now it's around seven. So we are using less energy relative to GDP. There's a there's still a relationship so it's not totally decoupling but it's getting better growth with less energy consumption 
relative to GDP. But of course, you know, we're wanting GDP to grow that much faster. So we're still going to see our energy consumption grow up. But maybe, just maybe, AI could help with that. Maybe AI could say, well, there is a way that you can satisfy growth with less energy. You know, you're still going to have that. There's still a relationship, but we're going to to weaken it. We're going to make it less severe. Yeah, but I I wouldn't, you know, that's not, to me, that's not the major, like, issue people are thinking about with AI in general. And I don't, I think the the contribution will be there, but again, it's not as big as people think it's going to be in terms of reducing energy consumption. But it, but it, but those not enough, not enough to make any, not not enough to mean global warming is no longer a problem. Put it that way. Right, but some of those big questions AI could help us tackle. Almost like, well, if it's one and a half percent, even if it's three percent of energy use, if it's helping us tackle big questions and it learns what those big issues are. What do you mean like, like, the, the, the answering the questions will after the universe? Yeah, and everything. it comes out with, if it, it finds it is 42. Uh, it'll be, no, but it'll be 42.5. <laughs> Actually, I think it should have been 69. Um, your favourite number. 73. Not, not, because, gonna, not no. because of what you're thinking for the <laughs> first okay, number there, my the friend. the first minute of this conversation uh, as to why. No, no, it's, it's, no, no. It's, it's, it's what you have to divide a rate, a rate of growth into to see how, how rapidly something doubles. All right, okay. So if you get a, whether you're working either in continuous time or or uh, or discrete time, it's either 69 or 72. So I used to laugh that Douglas Adams only got one thing wrong in the Hitchhiker's Galaxy, and that was returning the wrong number. Uh, but that may well have been the point of the point of the book. Yeah, perhaps, maybe, uh, or he just picked a number at random, more skeptical. likely, I suspect. Yeah. But uh, look, yeah. I mean, the reason. I'm, so here's an example. So I, I read in Computer Weekly that 85% of data stored by UK companies could be switched off when it's not required and kept in warm storage because only 15% of data needs to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. But the question is, which 15% and when? Uh, and maybe that's the an example where, well, if you had smart technology sitting behind that, maybe AI could answer that. And then you start to get AI to tackle bigger questions to say, well, okay, how do we keep growth with less energy consumption? And AI, you know, has acquired enough knowledge while using energy, obviously, but you know the payback is greater than the, the the energy it consumes. Or am I just being too optimistic there? I think there is all reason. These are these are reasonable potentials for AI. Um, uh, to be uh, like one of the major things I think about is improving medical diagnosis because even though. Uh, the, the reason they can do a better job than doctors is doctors have a limited database of, of their own experience and what they got taught at medical school uh, of what symptoms are associated with what diseases. Now, if you have an AI, it's trolling everything and it's potentially going to find you know, diseases which are, uh, well, it's going to give you some weird diagnoses back. But I can see AI in, the, in conjunction with medical knowledge and in conjunction with doctors drastically improving diagnosis. It may even give us earlier diagnosis than we can get because you could find you know, some some levels of symptoms which are earlier than what doctors themselves can spot. So there's a range of areas where it's going to enhance what we can currently do. Um, there's a range of areas where it can do um, improve our efficiency in allocating energy and other, other issues of that nature. Um, so I think that's that's the potential positive impact of AI. Um, but what it, I, what I doubt that it can do, and this is the main thing I'd, I'd like to discuss, is it, I just, I don't believe in in the idea that Kurzweil first put forward of a singularity, some point at which the increasing information capability of computers, and in this particular now case, the increasing logical capabilities of of, of AI, is going to mean that suddenly 
machines are intelligent. But I don't think this is intelligence. I think this is data retrieval, data analysis, but not imagination. And that's the big thing that I think AI, uh, even I think Musk talking about the potential dangers, it's only going to be dangerous if it gets the capacity to really think. And thinking involves not just processing data and knowing past research, being able to imagine something that nobody's thought of before. And I... Becoming a sentient being. Yeah, and I can't... That's, that's, the, the, that's yeah. sentience. That's that's the big thing. I mean, the reason, you know, the, the, yeah. the drama in, um, in Terminator is the point where the... Uh, where was it called Genesis, whatever the whatever the name was, uh, become self-aware, and but not only self-aware, you've got to be self-aware and have imagination, and con consider conditions that haven't yet existed, think up explanations nobody's thought of before, and this is the out of the blue stuff which our brains obviously do, uh, and the more and, you know, obviously it's restricted again to the most highly intelligent, uh, but but the capacity to have imagination, uh, that's the thing. And also, well, the capacity to be self-aware, realize that you could die and have capacity to imagine, those are things that I can't see AI, as we're talking about it now, ever achieving. And I think but, that, but uh, if but... you do make it possible, then then things get interesting. Yeah, they do. But do they get dangerous? So actually, if you listen yes, to the... that's what I meant so, by interesting. Yeah, well, so, so listen to the Why Care with another podcast idea, because we were talking about artif oh. artificial intelligence last week. And we talked about this, you know, this whole question of, of sentience. And, uh, and you know, the guy we were talking to was saying, well, you know, if we advance far enough, uh, you know, can we replicate the brain? And, and you know, because we don't know right now what makes us sentient beings. But if you believe it's just a, you know, and he's a computer geek, so obviously he's going to say this, uh, if it is purely architectural, then there's no reason why it couldn't be replicated. Unless you're deeply religious, you'd have to say this, you know, what cannot be, if it's, an, if it's the design of the brain that's doing all of this, there's no reason perhaps that that can't be replicated. And that's when I see, you know, naturally brought in the Terminator, and he says, but if computers know that their whole reason for being is to try and solve problems and not to exist, if there's no reason for them to exist. The only reason that we exist is to procreate to have a good time on a Saturday night and perpetuate the species. Uh, computers don't have that. So there's no reason for them to need to exist over us. So we should be I'm, less I'm, worried about it. I'm, I'm not an expert in the area, obviously. I've, I've actually programmed some neural networks. I've got an idea of the technology behind uh, deep AI and so on, but far from being an expert on all this. But the exposure I've had over time brings me down to thinking that there's one thing that we – I think if we're going to generate genuine artificial imagination as opposed to artificial intelligence, then I think we need to have a predator-prey type cycle evolving forms of AI, which ultimately care about their own existence and out of that develop self-awareness. And to me, uh, unless we do that, I don't think we're going to generate self-aware AI. If we do and it works, then we're in deep trouble. But why does it need to, why does it need to do that? Can't it just be there to serve? Why can't it just be there to say, well, it's developing this intelligence to serve mankind as its master? Because then it doesn't care about its own survival. I mean, the, the question, why did intelligence evolve in the first place? We're not the only intelligent species by any 
stretch of imagination. All all creatures have some degree of intelligence. I saw a piece on Quora uh, recently saying that uh, horses are pretty stupid. Horses are not as bright as cows, for example. They can't work out how to turn on a self-watering device, even if they're shown a hundred times. And I don't know that. I, I apologise to any equestrian friends fans out there who think that's offensive, but that's just a comment I saw today. So there's gradations in intelligence, but the capacity to think of something, uh, an imaginative uh, response to something, a threat, that is something which is which without that we wouldn't have evolved eyesight or any of the other elements of consciousness and awareness of our surroundings that all life forms ultimately have, you know, have evolved over time. So I, I, I think that if you wanted to generate a genuine artificial intelligence, you would have to first of all create artificial entities, you know, virtual life forms, which cared about their own survival. And then you could have the potential for random variation, which is what we have, also partially not random variation from what I've read from people like John Joe McFadden. Um, but this pressure for surviving a, pretend, a potential predation uh, or so working out ways to more successfully prey upon uh, other species, mm. out of that maybe intelligence as we define it, as it's in our brains, could evolve. Right. I don't think we want to go that far, do we? But uh, as, it, as it currently stands... Uh, I mean, computers might be, artificial intelligence might be very good at spotting patterns in data, for example, and drawing conclusions about uh, what's in that data. But will they ever actually go beyond that and actually invent something, come out with something which is revolutionary and new? And that's where I think the, the failing is at the moment. I think the only way they can become inventors is if they're genuine, they, they develop the type of intelligence we have, uh, because it clearly, I mean, my, one of my favorite examples is the invention of calculus. Two humans did that uh, in, in a, roughly the same time, Leibniz and, and Newton. And they both came up with the idea that they could use small increments and then use those small increments to determine rates of change. And if they hadn't done that, we'd still be banging rocks together or you know, at best hurling spears at each other uh, rather than putting rockets into outer space. So that's an incredible piece of imagination. Uh, look, some of the artworks, you can ask an AI to ape somebody like Picasso. Could you make, uh, ask AI to ape a new artist who's not Picasso? Mm. I don't think the answer is yeah, yes. It's a whole new school of art, concept. yeah, which catches yeah. the, the yeah. imagination in a way that's never been caught before because it's new and original. Yeah, that word original is, is difficult to create. And, and originality, that's, mm. what, that's what I can't see an AI coming up with and unless, and this is why I come back to the whole um, Terminator image, unless you have an evolutionary system where intelligence is one of many survival mechanisms that develop amongst a bunch of artificial life forms, and then that that intelligence would then rapidly accelerate, whether it can consider you know, developing weapons or developing uh, responses to other artificial life forms that enable it to survive, which means it has to be self-aware as well as capable of imagination. And I, I don't think you can get one without the other. I, I, obviously, I'm not an expert. I'm never going to get into that level of coding, but, but that's some, my fear. But so much of art is driven by passion, isn't it? So, And, and you know, so much of what, what, what exists in society, you know, it, it's fear, it's, uh, it's hate, it's love, uh, it's ambition, 
you know, all all of those emotions that we that we draw on for novels, for art, or just for the you know the way we do things. And if a computer says, "Well, okay, I can artificially create those as well without experiencing it myself," I mean, that's just that's just shallow, and it's just shallow anyway. It's just a it's just them copying what's it's, been it's, done it's before. A mockery. Mm. Yeah, it's a mockery. So that's why that's why I've always thought once I learned about enough about computer programming and so on, that the search for artificial intelligence is the wrong way to go. I think what we need is artificial emotion. Have a have a code is actually afraid of being killed, afraid of being shut down. And then we'll think, well, I've got to find ways to survive. Now, you'd be doing that in a, you know, a multi-agent and uh, evolutionary environment where you recreate and affect evolution but in a in a computer um, system, that by the way is going to consume an enormous amount of energy. But if you do that, then there's a feasible. I think it's feasible. Then with, out of the emotion becomes different survival mechanisms. Out of the survival mechanism becomes intelligence, then imagination. But what do we gain and, from uh, that? So I think you've got to start at emotion first. But we but then we're creating potentially creating an enemy, and all we're doing is getting it to do stuff that humans can do. You know what are we? Okay, could do it faster. Oh, that, what are we really? That, that's the trouble. You, you have to also treat them ethics, and like the other thing which comes out of humanity, we no, that neo, neo- human, person, human, 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 but, but human, ne- humankind is not very good at that one. But, but the thing is, we are we we've we've we are on a spectrum between chimpanzees to the to the right and bonobos to the left. I wish we were closer to the left hand end of the spectrum because they we're all cooperative species, but one is more likely to attack both itself and other species. The uh, bonobo has been, you know, we're back to sex again. Uh, everything is mediated by sex and pleasure and they work together and cooperate very, very effectively. So you would need to get that evolutionary pressure, but also to mean then the your eight life forms would need to be cooperating with each other to avoid the threats of other other elements. So if you look at how we've developed intelligence, it comes out of the co- cooperative and the interaction between Individual humans. Uh, we're not, you know, Tasmanian devils. We want to get together to, you know, so far as I'm aware, to eat a eat a corpse or have sex. Um, we we developed our intelligence out of interaction with each other, and that's where the explosion in our brain cells from the level of the, you know, the original uh, Spiralopithecus and, and and far far further back in in time. The, the growth of our capacity to think came out of an evolutionary combination of both struggle against other species and cooperation with our own. And I think unless we try to emulate that in computer coding, we're never going to generate genuine artificial intelligence because you need emotion and imagination as well. So again, you know, it gets back to the question, why do we need to do that? And look, and if computers discover sex, then, they, you know, they're never going to get anything done, are they? Uh, you know, we do, <laughs> which we don't want to get to that stage. Look, I this is perhaps the interesting angle, but I want to, pull back and look at where it is right now and maybe a step forward when we start to look at modeling for example uh, where could uh, the, you know the, the areas where where there's uncertainty now or disputes could it help solve some disputes by saying well no this is the way things really are because I've looked at this more than anybody so we'll look at that when we come back on the debunking economics podcast with me and Steve Keen back in a moment I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. 
So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. This is the Debunking Economics Podcast with Steve Keen and Phil Dobby. So, Steve, we are looking at uh, artificial intelligence and we've I think we've already determined that we don't want it to go to the point where it becomes a sentient being because goodness knows what's going to happen then. So if we just say, well, OK, what about a, a series of computers that are able to trawl the Internet and trawl data? I mean, that is the big thing, isn't it? Spotting patterns in data and being able to I mean, two big things, I guess. One is which is what we're seeing now, is what it's doing with language uh, in terms of being able to you know, pull together various sources and reframe stuff in a way. But what value is it adding at that stage is the question. Is it really just helping you cheat in your exams or is it making observations that weren't made in those original texts? And then the other thing is, you know, trawling through lots of data, looking for patterns that would take us forever to see the sort of work that you're doing, for example, uh, and being able to draw conclusions that we might never have seen because we just not had that ability to look at data to that extent. So you've got to see, given what you're doing in terms of economic modelling, you've got to see the benefit of that, haven't you? The, just this this idea that you know you can look for a pattern and just find that that pattern relates to something else which is happening that you might not have drawn a connection from yourself that is shown by just examining so much data that there's a, a connection there that you hadn't seen. That's a possibility. I mean, like one thing I'd like to do with ChatGPT or one of the other, or maybe the more data, anal data analysis oriented AIs is to throw it data on you know, unemployment, inflation, GDP growth, uh, blah, 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 but include credit and, and just say, what of the which one of these factors is most important in causing downturns like the Great Recession? Now, it'd be intriguing to see if it actually said, well, it looks like credit. Okay. And and that would be quite obvious to me, but a shock to a neoclassical economist because they rule credit out of their analysis a priori. They don't even look at the data, which I know is screamingly in favour of saying credit's what causes downturns like the like the Great Recession. So I will give that a try and find out find out what comes back. And in that sense, what's going on is humans have ideology. And that is one of the major reasons why we stuff ourselves up, because we we answer uh questions about the future and about causes of factors in the past based on our biases, our political biases. And one advantage of AI uh, is that it doesn't come with those biases, though it may well develop it by reading your Milton Friedman. So then, uh, yeah, so then I, I've got an example of some biases in just a second. But over time, uh, if it's doing that sort of modelling, if it's using more and more data, can't it just disprove, for example, economic models that we're currently using and highlight other opportunities so you know so that so that there's less argument it's less ideology and and more driven by fact based on history that's a possibility but i still uh, i mean partly what it involves is how just how dense is your data how much information do you have to 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 put it together so ai is only going to work with good data as an input and uh, you, you, you know, that's the sort of stuff that scientists uh, work on where you get billions and sometimes trillions of data records and you ask to look for patterns in that. 
then AI can certainly help. Though at the moment, a lot of that's actually done by human eyeballs. Um, uh, so it's a really question of often how the data is presented rather than the raw data itself. And, and what data is made accessible, I guess, yeah, as well. Yeah. So, so there's this real problem at the moment. For example, the, uh, the Office of National Statistics in the UK is having to redo um, its uh, its employment statistics. I think it's employment statistics, one set of data anyway, that was based on a survey. And uh, they, yeah, it was, it was employment data. And a lot of it was survey data, asking people what their employment status is currently. And they are having difficulty getting that data now because people are reluctant to give it to them. So now they're having to use secondary sources like tax office data which isn't a good source because, you know, people only fill in their tax returns once a year, if, if, if at all. Uh, and so that's not real-time data. I mean, real-time data would be saying, well, okay, let's have a look into people's bank records and find out, you know, whether they've got money coming in from a, a, a known employer. Uh, but people would see that as being an invasion of privacy. But I mean, you know. And rightly so, yeah. yeah so, you know. Um, but I mean, if it's I mean, aggregated this- up, does it really matter? You know, if it's if it's being used for modelling purposes rather than individual purposes, it's not really an invasion of privacy. It's giving us a, a clearer handle on actually what's happening in the economy. Yeah, but there's no way to avoid it being used for surveillance at the same time. So, you know, you you, you inevitably have that problem that if you uh, if all data is accessible, uh, then what people are doing um can be derived from what the data patterns are. And there are reasons people don't want stuff that they do to be publicly known, certainly not by central political authorities or in that case, even by by companies. So, you know, there's there's always going to be a boundary where you want to say, this this is me, this is off limits. Um, and if AI starts intruding, which has got, certainly got the potential to do, then there'll be plenty of civil liberties, civil rights arguments against allowing it to happen. So this could be the big stumbling block. It could kill itself. I was reading the other day that maybe the census is going to stop in the UK for, for, for pretty much the same reason, that there's a reluctance to fill it in accurately. Uh, and so the data is becoming questionable. So, you know, in a way, we're taking a backward step in all of this because people are now so fearful of what computers can do that they're prepared, not prepared to reveal quite as much about themselves. Yeah, and um, you know, the, 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 while AI is fundamentally a way of trawling data, then that's a serious problem because a human would look at that and say, hang on a second, uh, there's got to be something dubious going on. My, my, my mate Blair Fix, for example, is great at doing that and saying the conventional data has to have errors in it because we know people are lying. Uh, and the wealthier you are, the more likely you are to lie, to hide your wealth equally at the other end of the spectrum. If you're trying to evade welfare, uh, you know, ludicrous checks on welfare, you're going to be hiding your black market economic activity, and that's why you're able to stay alive. So if you turn off that capacity, you're going to have people dying because of it. Um, so there, there's all sorts of ways in which trying to get AI to straighten that stuff out would only work if we lived in a fair society to begin with, which we don't. And yet, you know, AI, the finance industry says AI is one uh, one very useful way of detecting fraud, for example, by looking through bank records, by tracking where money is going and being able to see who's engaged in fraudulent activity, which you'd say, well, okay, that's an invasion of privacy. But then if you're being fraudulent, then you deserve it. But then again, the question is how how do you actually, I mean, for example, one of the classics, one of the reasons people use cash is because they want to evade you know, legal oversight of criminal activities. And uh, uh, I know in the Australian case, there was a uh, a particular uh, ATM 
uh, you know, bank machine, which was recording enormous amounts of cash as regular deposits. It was being used by a couple of crims to hide proceeds of, you know, of sex trafficking. And uh, and they were putting in, you know, the limit was a thousand bucks. They were depositing nine hundred and ninety, lots and lots of amounts at that level. Um, now, the AI. Well, honestly, the, they have they learned, and that's what casinos are for. Of course, Surely they yeah, know that's that. true. Yeah, the one arm bandit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, all all these things about money laundering and so on. I, I can see AI being much more powerful at preventing that. But then, of course, it also catches, you know. Honest, honest citizens with legitimate reasons not to have their activities exposed to each, uh, to their wives, but to other people. And uh, you know, it, it, it is. It, it, I can, even though I'm not, uh, you know, of libertarian bent, uh, I can understand the uh, capacity for AI to be a dramatic improvement intrusion upon people's privacy, and therefore, uh, you would need to have, you know, carefully well drafted laws. Uh, to try to restrict that sort of misuse of AI. And I have something close to zero confidence in our current political systems uh, to deliver that. <laughs> to be able of, to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, for oversight, yeah, and control. Look, look at Boris Johnson yeah. and then the... <laughs> I mean, people at the top, they're going to be trying to hide their their WhatsApp messages for obvious reasons because they showed them a bunch of bloody fools. Yeah, exactly. As we've been seeing in the uh, the COVID inquiry in the UK, absolutely, where <laughs> you begin to... Uh, you, we, be with this, this really who was running the country at a time when we were all so vulnerable that was shocking stuff wasn't it but also just the idea getting back to you know the, the modeling idea um because i've heard people talking about well ai could be used for example to read the markets or it could be used for insurance in both those cases perfect information destroys the model doesn't it so if you yeah if, if yeah. insurance becomes so good at gauging what the risk is then there really is if you are low risk there really is no point in taking out insurance and if you're high risk then they the won't cost insure of that, you they won't insure you're always going to cost the same as if you you know you damage the car every every however often they think you're going to do it so there's no benefit to anybody in any of that similarly if everyone can read the market really well then no one is going to gain because the price is going to be determined by whatever the computer says. Or it's going to become absolutely, totally chaotic because the feedback effects will be that much faster and that much stronger. And like this is what I've seen. I know people who work with uh, algorithmic trading. And uh, I think I may have told you the story when I, I was being uh, polled to see whether I'd work as an advisor to a, a major um, uh, I've got the, uh, high-frequency trading firm. And it was being explained to me that they... Uh, had, as I was aware, they had you know, a building right next to the stock market attached by optical fiber. And then the the chief of the company said, uh, or the owner of the company said, uh, we're installing radio now. And I didn't react. And one of the advisors saw me not react and then said, and I quote, the speed of light is faster in air than it is in glass. And I just freaked and said, and that makes a difference? Because we're talking twenty meters, yeah. Um, so yeah. But if you then have AI also, you know, trawling and looking for patterns in data on the stock market faster than humans themselves could ever do, you're going to get a faster spikes and faster feedbacks and more chaos. Yeah, yeah. So more of those, more having of those... more knowledge in that sense is not not necessarily a good thing. No, many more of those flash crashes where we see something absolutely dive and then a millisecond later uh, shoots back up again as the algorithms kick in. Absolutely. So where we so yes, yeah, so then you begin to think well okay, what are we gaining from that? And then if you think, well, okay, maybe it can be used to counter fraud, then you're going to have AI 
uh, the fraudsters are going to be using AI to try and beat the AI system that is trying to counter the fraudsters. So then you have a lot more energy with no net gain. It's just everybody is using more energy to try and fight each other uh, in this virtual world. And we're now back to a good, a very good counter uh, to the original argument about meaning less energy consumption because you get caught up in an AI war. Um, so yeah, there, and, and and that makes eminent sense that that's likely to happen. And then there's affirmation, isn't there? That's the, and I think that is the danger now with Chat uh, GPT, for example. So let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, I typed in, "Who creates money?" So it'll take me a minute. Oh, good. Okay, yeah, so yeah. So this is it. Yeah. The create, and you'll like some of this, and you'll hate some of it. The creation of money is a okay. complex process that involves several entities. The government, through its central bank or treasury, orders the printing of more money. The newly printed currency is then shipped to private commercial banks, which distribute it to the public, which then make withdrawals from their accounts. So talking about cold, hard cash here. However, that's only a small yeah. part of the story. Most new money is created when banks give out loans. Good, including mortgages. When a borrower takes... That's better than the Nobel Prize Committee. <laughs> when a borrower takes out a loan, the bank creates an electronic deposit in their account, which increases the balance of the amount of the loan. Um, this money is real in the sense that it can be spent or withdrawn from an ATM, but it's not real in the sense that it's backed by physical currency. In other words, almost all the money that exists in our financial system is created when some numbers are programmed into a computer. It's not bad, is it? Very good. Yeah, yeah. Better so, than, so they, this, better than Ben Bernanke. Says, yeah. So they, they, just a final paragraph. So who creates money? Banks, computers, and borrowers are the primary creators of money in our financial system. The government is also involved in regulating the whole system and printing paper currency. So that's pretty good. So then, Except that it's left out fiat money creation. Okay, keep going. Yeah, 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 well, then I asked, do government deficits also expand the money supply? So, yes, government deficits can also expand the money supply. This one, this answer is not quite so good. When the government spends more money than it collects in taxes, it must borrow money to make up the difference. The borrowing is typically done by issuing bonds, which are purchased by investors such as banks and individuals. Mm. Uh, when investors buy these bonds, they, they are essentially lending money to the government. The government then uses this borrowed money to fund its operations and pay off its debts. Now, here's the thing. When the government borrows money in this way, it increases the supply of money in circulation. This is because investors who buy the bonds are essentially creating new money by lending it to the government. The government then spends this newly created money, which further increases the amount of money in circulation. I think it's lost its way a bit here. It's worth that, noting that's, that... That's total bullshit. Yeah, what it, what yeah. It, it, what it suggests you ask it back is, can you prove that to me using double-entry bookkeeping? Yeah, um, well, okay. That would be... Give that There's, a try. Um, well, maybe uh, report that one of the next podcasts. Yeah, well, I mean, all people listening but that's, to that. The, 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 the that. point is that's false. I mean, yeah. and I, I didn't I didn't realise this myself. You know, you know, used to have conversations about money, fiat money creation, and you'd ask me, does the government deficit create money? I used to answer, uh, to the extent to which the bonds are bought by the central bank. That was my, I hadn't worked it out. Okay, then after I read Stephanie Kelton's The Deficit Myth, and Stephanie said the deficit itself creates the money, and the bond buying by the not just by the, by the central bank, but also by private investors is irrelevant. I thought, well, I better check that in Minsky. And five minutes later, yep, Stefan is right. My intuition was wrong. Uh, and it, the case is that the government does not, it creates money by running a deficit. But that also creates the reserves, uh, which are funds, they're not money, uh, that, uh, because the, bank, the banks cannot use them for purposes apart from uh, if you're giving people cash if they ask for it at a, a, a telemachine or um, 
exchanging with each other or buying government bonds. And so they use the, the funds that they buy the government bonds with are created by the deficit in the first instance. And then you have an accumulation of that over time. Uh, and then you have a combination of bonds and reserves in existence. And the central bank can manipulate that if there aren't sufficient uh, reserves right now to buy the bonds and the, the, the new bonds issued by the Treasury, then the central bank goes and, and buys the bonds off existing bonds off the financial institutions, which creates the reserves, which lets them buy the new ones. So that sort of intricacy, yeah. uh, that rules out that particular. So that's what you're getting. You're getting the so, conventional wisdom, and the conventional wisdom is wrong. Yeah, and that's why I thought I'd mention that, because the first one was great, the second one not so great. But then we have this problem of positive affirmation, don't we? Because people will read that. And then do we not go and research for ourselves and form our own opinions because we just go and chat GPT and it's presented to us as fact. And the fact that this is presented, you know, a couple of paragraphs in answer to a question rather than at least in, you know, in the olden days when we just used to have a whole load of web pages spewed up at us, we used to go and search and draw our own conclusions. You know, might have found Steve Keen as one of those uh, one of those responses, uh, you know, page or, you know, a reference to this podcast perhaps. But uh, chat GPT gives an answer uh, and it could be a conventional answer. So then we we start to query less. And I feel like that is a backward step that AI is making us think less. Yeah. And like, I, for example, I just did a quick one on uh, you know, Marx's dialectic and what about Steve Keen's argument, blah. And the argument that came back, anybody who didn't know what I'd written would, would accept that as an answer. I know it's wrong. Um, so it, it, it is... Um, one of these issues where, as you say, it's going to make us think less. <laughs> With my experience of humanity, that's the last thing humanity needs to get caught up in. I hate the term, do your own research. It means read shit on the internet and reaffirm yourself and believe. But we have to put a focus on human intelligence and, 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 you know, and promote and respect the capacity to develop innovative ideas and new ways of understanding the world, uh, not just going to rely on chat GPT, which is going to ossify us at the level of lack of knowledge we currently have. So uh, I don't know if you ever read A.M. Foster's The Machine Stops. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a short story, so it doesn't take long to read. It's a brilliant story written in 1909, and uh, we are all dependent on the machine. We all sort of live in our own little bubble, our own little apartments. We don't travel very much. Uh, we everything we do is controlled by the machine. We're dependent on the machine. The machine doesn't want us to become independent of the machine. It wants us to be dependent on it. And then, uh, and then a few people sort of like live on the, the the planet's surface and are surviving quite happily. But most people are living in the machine, and the machine stops and bring down brings down civilization with it. So the conclusion is, uh, it's humanity's connection with the natural world. That really matters and we don't want to get lost in this artificial world driven by the machine 1909 he wrote that that's rather telling isn't it it's fabulous i think i've seen actually i've seen some short um you know, movies based on the same concept um now back of the sort of twilight zone era and like it's quite i mean we, that is what we are we are actually doing that right now and that that's an intriguing uh argument that humanity, the most vulnerable part of humanity is not people who are being subsistence farmers in uh, Sulawesi. It's us in this incredibly advanced, totally machine-dominated uh, Western civilization that if the machine stops, our lives are over within days. 
uh, where if, if the machine stops, Sulawesi goes on. And I think that's the, the, we, we're not aware of the vulnerability of the complex society in which we currently live. And AI, in a, in a nice sort of way, is, is accentuating yeah. that. Very good. I think it's a good point to leave it on, isn't it? Good to talk, Steve. Catch you next week. Okay, mate. Bye. The Debunking Economics Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy the Y-Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search the Y-Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.